Well, good morning again, and uh, also, if you are a guest, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you went to sports camp and you are returning to check out CVC, we're glad you came back, and we hope you have a great time this morning. And again, all those online right now with us, we are glad that you are here as well. Before diving into the teaching time, I just want to address a couple things. One, uh, in two weeks, because school is starting, can you believe that? We're almost back in school. We're going to have a night of prayer, what we call here Seek. Uh, nights, where we're just going to seek the Lord uh, on behalf of those going back to school. So what we want to do is basically fill this room with students and parents and maybe some teachers and administrators and just spend the evening worshiping the Lord and praying over our kids, praying over parents, praying over teachers, and and having a time of back-to-school prayer. That'll be on August 14th. So mark your calendars, and we'd love to have you here to to, uh, pray over those kids and be prayed for if you're going back to school. Also, I want to just take a moment, obviously, to address what many of us woke up to this morning was a a heartbreaking headline that in less than 24 hours, we had two shootings in our country, and one of them now being in Dayton, Ohio. And so would you just take a moment with me, and we just want to pray for those communities. We want to pray that God's people would be um, effective at ministering during this time of pain, and just pray for those communities that are experiencing these losses. So let's just take a moment, and let's pray for them. Lord, would you come to you in prayer? And God, uh, we want things to look a certain way. We want certain control. And, and, and we are at loss, Lord, for words and even understanding at times when we see these tragedies. So, Lord, we pray right now that you would absolutely um, show up in El Paso and in Dayton. We pray for the pastors that are stepping into those pulpits today with very difficult circumstances. We pray for the body of Christ that lives there, that our brothers and sisters and Jesus will be an incredible blessing to uh, the community that's hurting around them. Father, would you comfort them with the love of Christ, with the truth of the gospel? Would you uh, bring answers to questions? Would you bring justice? And Lord, it's just a reminder that as we wait for you to return, we just have to trust you and hold on to you in this world that's full of chaos and pain. We are looking forward to the day that you will restore all things when our Christ will return and the fallenness and the brokenness and the sin of this world will be a distant memory. And so Lord, until we wait for that day, may we be faithful. So be with those in Dayton, be with those in El Paso, and grant comfort, we ask in the name of Jesus. We all said, amen. Well, the other day I was talking to a friend, and he's an Uber driver, and he was telling me a story of a call he received one night to go pick up a customer. It was very late, and uh, he got a notification to go pick up someone needing a ride, so he hit go on the GPS to the coordinates that he had, and he started driving, and so he was on the freeway, and then he got off the freeway on a major road, and then the major road turned into a smaller side road, then that smaller side road turned into another smaller and less maintained side road, and then that road turned into to a long uh, dirt driveway leading up to this extremely dark, long driveway ending at this massive, dark, creepy, abandoned-looking house. And he's thinking at this point, yeah, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not picking this person up, you know? And he found out later, and he was able to correct it, that the GPS uh, sent him to the wrong place because it didn't know about a little side road that he was supposed to take to get to the right house. Now, I haven't had an experience like that, but there's been many times when I've entered, you know, a destination into my GPS, and it sent me somewhere. I'm like, this is a random parking lot. Clearly, this is not the house I'm looking for. And I'm sure many of you have had those opportunities as well, right? You punch something in, 
into a GPS or you're going off your memory to try to get to a location and you end up somewhere different than you thought you were going to be. Well, this is something that is also happening spiritually in many people's lives. That their spiritual GPS is sending them to a destination that's not the destination they were hoping for. And so we receive teaching, spiritual teaching, in the course of our life, and we uh, have these beliefs that we subscribe to, and our hope is that at the end of this journey, that the route we're taking will lead us to a place of forgiveness with God. Uh, somehow our sins will be, you know, remedied, and somehow with God, there's some version of heaven that most religions subscribe to, and that if we go with these beliefs, we'll be okay. But the truth is, as you study the Bible, and many of you know this, that if you are operating operating off the wrong coordinates, your spiritual GPS can send you to the wrong destination, not one that you were looking for. Well, it's one thing to be in a car landing in some random parking lot or some creepy house. It's another thing having a hope for heaven, but that you end up actually in hell. And we don't want to see that happen. And Jesus doesn't want that to happen either. And so he makes sure that we have teaching to help us know the right route instead of the wrong route. And just to get a sense for who I'm talking to today, I want to invite you into this poll that you heard about. This is just something we do every now and then. I enjoyed it last week. I wanted to do it this week. But I'd love to get you to participate in this poll. So to register, you have to text that phrase, CVC Online 463, to the number 22333. And here's the question I have for you. The question is this. Do I feel confident that after this life, I'm going to heaven? Do I feel confident that after this life, I'm going to heaven? If the answer for you is yes, please respond with an A to the text poll. If you are not sure, like I don't know, I hope so, maybe. If it's, um, if it's not sure, do a B. And if your answer is no, I, I have no confidence whatsoever that I'm going to heaven after this life, then put C. So A, yes, I feel very confident I'm going to heaven. B, I'm not sure. C, no. So go ahead and respond to the poll for those of you participating. I'd love to hear from you. And as you're doing that, I want to take the time to define three critical words that will help us with our teaching because they're words that we hear, but sometimes we don't always have the full meaning or the basic meaning. So as you respond to the poll, I want to look at these three words and define them. The first one is sin. Sin. Now there's a lot of Bible dictionaries out there that uh, define sin. I just grabbed one off the Holman Bible Dictionary that says, actions by which humans rebel against God, miss his purpose for their life, and surrender to the power of evil rather than to God. And the reality is that we're all infected by sin at birth. We have a natural disposition to sin. Uh, we naturally will do things that offend God. We'll say things that offend God. We'll uh, act out in ways that offend God. That's all sin. Sometimes uh, we know the right thing to do. We choose not to do it. That's sin. And our heart posture to God in its sinful state is one of disobedience and one of rebellion. And so that is sin. The Bible teaches that sin has broken our relationship with God, that our sin offends God because he's holy and he's perfect and he's righteous. And the Bible teaches that the outcome of sin is eternal punishment, that we will spend eternity away from God's glory in a place of torment. And so that's sin. The second word I want to make sure we have an understanding about today is salvation. Salvation means to deliver from harm or danger. So physically, if you're pulled from a burning building, you got saved. Spiritually, 
Safe means that you have been removed from the danger or harm of God's wrath that is coming as a consequence for sin. And so when you're saved, when you experience salvation, you are being removed from the wrath of God uh, and your soul is being removed from the consequences of sin. The Bible uses this word save or saved right around 300 times. And about a third of those times is a reference to spiritual salvation, the saving of your soul. And so that's the word save. And the other word, one that you hear in churches, you see in the Bible, but sometimes the actual definition escapes you. So I want to make sure we have this really unlocked today because it's a word that's going to be in the passage we're going to see uh, today. And the word is justification. Justification. Very simply meaning that it makes one right with God. I want to add the word permanently. Justification is to be made right with God permanently. Can you say that? Justification is to be made right with God permanently. It's also, uh, when you dig down deeper into the understanding of justification, it's when God declares you righteous. We know that we're unrighteous because of our sin. We know we're unrighteous and need to be saved. Well, when you come to faith in Christ, he takes the righteousness of Christ and he credits it to you. The righteousness of the Lord credited to the unrighteous sinner. And so that takes place when we're justified and we get to operate in this now new posture with the Lord uh, that we're permanently made right with him if you trust in Jesus. So those are three critical words. Now, I want to get back to just understanding those who participated, where you're at. So I want to see who I'm talking to this morning. Let's look at the response to your poll, okay? So... Uh, 104 say that you feel confident, and 29 are not sure. So this is very helpful to me. So thank you very much, and, and one or two maybe in the no. So here's the thing. If you put yes, that you are confident, and I see some movement here, which is cool. It's, it's, it's a real-time poll. Uh, if you're confident, I think our, the goal for you today is to feel affirmed and to be grateful and to celebrate that that confidence is in Christ, that you know that you don't deserve to go to heaven on your own, but it's because of what Christ did that you even have a shot. And so hopefully you are full of celebration and gratitude and affirmation today uh, as you say yes. If you're not sure, that usually means one of two things is taking place in your life. You may actually be a follower of Christ. You may actually have the confidence of heaven, but maybe you've been, uh, just your life right now, you've been having a lot of sinful issues in your life. Maybe you have some simple habits that are playing out in your life, and so you feel a little bit like your relationship with God is strained, and so you're like, I don't know. Or maybe uh, you've been raised in a religious tradition that has taught you that you have to be good enough, you've got to earn heaven somehow, and you're sitting here saying, I'm not sure because I don't know if my good outweighs my bad yet. So I'm, I'm hoping I am, but I'm not certain yet. So our goal with you today is to bring assurance if you are a follower of Christ. That if you know Christ, you're reminded today that it's not about what you do, but it's about what Jesus has done that gives you even access to heaven at all. And if you're not sure because you're resting in your good works, you're really going to resonate today with the words that we see from Jesus as we teach from the parable. And if you said no today, our hope for you is that you will find today to be one of the best days of your life because you're going to hear good news that you can have access to heaven. You do have access to heaven through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we would love anyone today who feels like their answer is no or not sure that they can move to yes, I know by the end of our time together. So that's just a little bit of the lay of the land. 
And as we continue in this series, uh, we're going with these parables that Jesus Christ taught when he was here in his earthly ministry. And a parable is a little story with a big truth. And so it's this small story that Jesus would tell in his teaching to communicate a truth about the Lord that would have a big impact on the listeners. And the parable we're looking at today, using this GPS language, if you will, is basically given to a group of people that had their spiritual GPS off course. They need to be rerouted because they're trusting in the wrong information and they're going to end up in the wrong destination. And so Jesus is trying to bring correction today through the teaching to them. And what we love about the Word of God is that it transcends through time and is just as true for us and needs to be heard by us just as much as the original audience. So with that being said, let's turn to Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14, and I've already said this a couple times, but I want to make sure that I frame in our time today with this big idea. This is what I'd like for all of you to kind of wrap your mind and hearts around today, which is this. Salvation is not about what you do, but what Jesus did for you. Would you say that with me? Salvation is not about what you do, but what Jesus did for you. Let's look for that as we're in Luke 18. And we're going to read verses 9 through 14. So hopefully you have your Bibles open. And here's what we see. It says, He, which would be a reference to Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here's the parable he told. Two men went up into the temple to pray. I want to stop. You're going to see this up and down language. Uh, This is scene that Jesus is painting is of two men uh, going up to the temple of Jerusalem during the time. And uh, the temple in Jerusalem was on a mountain, Mount Moriah. It's 2,500 feet above sea level. So you're going to see that these men went up, and then you're going to see they went down to home. Okay, just just FYI, because that language can be a little bit like, what's he talking about? It says, that two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In this parable, Jesus is revealing a right route to salvation and a wrong route. So let's look at the wrong route first as demonstrated, as displayed through the Pharisee. Now, uh, when you look at verse 9, It kind of paints a picture of the crowd. And what's interesting here is it doesn't say that Jesus starts to tell a story about certain people. It says he's telling it to them. So Jesus is actually making eye contact and hopefully making heart contact with people that he's speaking with. And we desire the same eye and heart contact here today with us, with the Word of God. And he's basically saying, hey, all of you who are trusting in yourself to be made right with God, trusting in yourself for salvation, trusting in yourself for the forgiveness of sin, who see yourself as righteous, who, 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 by the way, because you see yourself that way, look on others with contempt. I've got a message for you. And then he tells this story. And he uses this Pharisee as this description of one who's taken the wrong route, if you will, 
to uh, salvation. And this Pharisee, as we know, if you've studied Pharisees, they're very devout, fiercely devoted uh, religious people in the Jewish uh, religious system. And so they would try to obey every letter of God's law and obey every letter of the tradition that they uh, took and morphed out of God's law. And so they were very devout in their efforts to work the way to heaven, work the way to a good relationship with God. And those under their spiritual leadership, a lot of times were kind of oppressed, if you will, with the level of legalism that they enforced to do certain religious activities and fulfill certain laws in order to be made right with God. And so this is where he's at. And Jesus is capturing the sentiment of this misleading theology as he paints the picture of this Pharisee because the Pharisee is trusting in himself. How do we know that? Well, one, Jesus is talking to people with that context. Second, look at the language again of the Pharisee. And as I read through this and sort of unpack Luke 18, 11, and 12, you, I'm going to ask you afterwards, how can you see if he's trusting in himself or so, something else? It says here, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed this way, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He's basically saying, I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not adulterous. I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. What's the word you heard most? All right, so who's he trusting in? Himself. He's trusting in his religious activity. He's trusting in his morality to be made right with God. And if we're going to be honest about this, that is the most um, abundant teaching in all religions in the world except for Christianity. All other religious systems basically are putting, putting out a theology of works that you have to achieve some level of morality you have to achieve some sort of religious activity in order to be forgiven, saved, and made right with God. The problem is, and some of you have been raised in that context. Some of you have family that are being raised in that context. Or that's what they're being taught. The problem is, that's not what Jesus teaches. So you need to take the words of whatever religious leader you've ever heard and compare it to Jesus. Because he's obviously poking in this and going, that's the wrong route. So the Pharisee is trusting in himself, and he, he says this prayer, which this really isn't a prayer, is it? If you really look at this, it's more like a long list of congratulatory activity that he feels he needs to give to God so that God will give him access to heaven. So if you think about it, he's basically saying, God, I deserve heaven. I deserve to be made right with you because I'm not like all these other people. So if we were to translate today, that would be any person saying, I believe I should be forgiven by God because I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Well, guess what? But by the grace of God, you and I are not the standards, are we? God's the standard. God's holy. God's righteous. God's perfect. Uh, you're not, you're not going to be graded on a curve with me, and I'm not going to be graded on a curve for you. But the Pharisee in the story, he was wanting God to grade it on a curve, and he was hoping he was going to make the cut. But the problem is, nowhere in the Bible does God teach or say that you are going to go to heaven because you're good enough, or you're going to avoid hell because you're good enough. That's not biblical theology. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did for you. And so this Pharisee was focusing on the sins of other people when he really should have been focusing on the sins of himself. He was comparing himself to other people when he should have been comparing himself to God himself. And so he was missing the mark. And because of that, it says here that he looked at others with contempt. 
He just saw himself as better. And I know that we would maybe never think that or articulate that, but if you start to give into that kind of works theology, that's what you're saying. You're saying, as long as I'm better than other people, I'm good. As long as I'm one more good deed above you, I'm good. Well, where's the line? Man, I, I can't imagine how that conversation is going to go in heaven if that was a reality. Can you imagine standing before God? He's like, you know, well, hey, I was going to let you in, but you were just one good deed shy. Man, just you're this close. <laughs> Sorry. You know, like, no. Like, <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. You know why? Because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. It's about what Jesus did for you. You know, uh, we're reminded in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, the reality of how we can be saved and, and how opposite of what we just saw this is. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you have been suckered into thinking that you've got to get to heaven by being good enough, then you're basically looking at a religion of bragging rights. I can brag on how good I am. And that's not what God has set up. So the reality is the Pharisee was religious, but he was lost. The Pharisee was moral, but he was unforgiven. The Pharisee was confident, but he had a false sense of security. He was trusting in himself and his own goodness instead of trusting in the Lord and his provision of goodness. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, well how do I know if I'm doing that? Like, how do I know if that's where I'm at right now? Well, let's just ask the question. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Why should you go to heaven? And what answer comes to your mind? Just think about that for a second. Now, if God were to actually ask you, like, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I forgive you of your sin? Why should I justify you? Why should I save you? Like, what answer would you give? Now, I'm going to tell you what the most common answers sound like. Because I've asked this question. I've heard many people talk about this. Here's what the most common answers sound like. Well, because I tried to be a good person. Because I went to church as much as I could. Because I prayed every now and then. Because I gave money to charity and to the church sometimes. Because I tried to help my friends out when they needed a good hand. Uh, because I tried to avoid really bad decisions. What's the word you keep hearing? I. Which means if you're thinking that way, who are you trusting? Yourself. And what is Jesus saying about those who trust themselves? It's a no-go. It's a no-go. You are going to end up as some, it's going to be worse than some creepy house in a dark road at the end of a driveway you don't want to be at. And so you have to be readjusted. This is the wrong route. Jesus uses the Pharisee to explain the wrong route and to remind us salvation is not about what you do, but about what Jesus did for you. So what's the right route? Well, then he, let's look a little bit closer at the tax collector because Jesus really unpacks what it looks like to be on the right route for salvation through what we see in the tax collector. Let's look again at verses 13 and 14 of Luke 18. Jesus said the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Just look at the stark contrast that Jesus puts here. He's got this Pharisee, a very devout, a very religious person. And by the way, you know, we, Jesus uh, poked at the Pharisees a lot. If you've been here in this series and you've heard biblical teaching, you hear a lot of poking at the Pharisees. Not all Pharisees like were bad, malicious people. 
Some of them just were misled, and they were, they were fiercely devout, but they were devout to the wrong system, right? And so you have this very religious Pharisee, and then you have this tax collector. You've got to understand the view of the tax collectors. To the people in the, at the time, the tax collector was the lowest of the low. They were, they were Jewish people that were hired by the Romans to tax Jewish people. And as long as Rome got what they wanted, these tax collectors were free to overtax for personal profit. So they were stealing money. And then they were using that, they were living very immoral lives. And so the Pharisees at the time put them in the same category as prostitutes and, and, and drunkards. They just said, these are, these are the lowest of the low. They were traitors and thieves. So Jesus was telling the story, just put yourself in the moment. Jesus was telling the story to some group of people, and he's telling them about a Pharisee and a tax collector. In their mind, who is probably going to be the hero of the story? The Pharisee. He's this good guy. He's moral. He's, he's religious. He's going to be the good guy. Think about how shocking it was to the people at the time for Jesus to make the tax collector the hero of the story. The lowest of the low. And what I love about that is a constant reminder as we look at the words of Jesus that anyone can come to faith in Christ. You're not too far gone. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up, how far gone you think you are, anybody can come into relationship with the Lord. I love that he just reached down to the lowest person in that culture and used them as the hero. And as he did that, he paints this picture of humility. He paints this picture of repentance through the life of this tax collector. And you just got to look at the physical posture. Like, let's just start with that. You've got, on one hand, this Pharisee who is proudly and confidently standing in the middle of the temple saying, God, thank you. Thank you so much, God, that I'm not like all these bad people, okay? And I get to do all this religious stuff. And then you have over here this tax collector, and you can just see this. He kind of finds himself in a peripheral part of the court somewhere off to the side. He's probably got his head down and his shoulders slumped. And you only see this a couple times in the Bible, by the way, this beating on the chest. This is not a common thing. It's only a couple times in the Bible. It conveys deep, deep anguish. He's just pounding on his chest, probably just tears in his eyes saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's one of the shortest prayers in the whole Bible. Seven words in English, six in Greek. It's one of the shortest prayers. And what did Jesus say about this man? He was justified. He was made right with God. Why? Because his heart posture, he came humbly, he came repentant. If you want to troubleshoot your relationship with God, Test just how much weight you feel in your spirit over your sin. You got this one guy over here who's overconfident, not feeling any weight of a sin, only looking at the sin of other people. You have this other guy who's feeling the weight of a sin and feels the barrier it's creating between him and God. The reason some of you feel so far from God is because you don't feel the weight of your sin. You've become comfortable with it. You've become accustomed to it. And the Lord wants to take that off. And open up your eyes. You know, it's so interesting. This Pharisee thought he was good, but he was no better off than the tax collector. <laughs> they both had equal need, but one saw it and one didn't. Do you see your need for Christ? You see your need for the Lord in your life. You know, as I was studying this cry, this prayer of the 
tax collector, uh, have mercy on me. I, I found some really interesting extra insights that I wanted to bring to you this morning, but I just didn't have time to unpack it here. It would take us more time. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. So tonight at 6, I'm going to do a Facebook Live teaching, very brief. And so if you are around at 6, or if you want to come back and look at it, I'm going to just share with you some really cool insights that I learned while studying this passage. Some of you are like, I don't know, is it going to be worth looking at? Let me give you a little image just to tease you, okay? So we're going to talk about this tonight about 6 o'clock. So if you're curious about that, you can feel free to, to log in and we'll, we'll look at that. But when you look at, again, the humility and the pride that are being conveyed in this moment, it makes verse 14 really make more sense. Because it's easy to look at verse 14 and think that Jesus is talking about general pride, general humility. Look at verse 14 again. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The context is people who are trusting in themselves versus people who are coming to the Lord and trusting the Lord. So the person who's humbled, when he shows up at the end with a spiritual GPS at the address it's on, he's going to be, uh, the one who's exalted is going to be humbled. It's not going to pan out the way he thought. And the one who's humbled, who sees themselves correctly, that, that they're sinful and God's holy, that they're needy, that he's worthy, the person who's humbled will be exalted. The person thinking they're going to heaven, that they're going to be forgiven because of their own righteousness, is not. And the person who comes recognizing how sinful they are and surrenders their life to Jesus has access to the Lord through faith in Christ and relationship with Christ. That's what that verse is talking about. Now, I want to go into this word justified a little bit more. It says that Jesus said that this man went down to his home justified. Notice he didn't say one guy went home with his answered prayer and one guy went home without an answered prayer. It, it was a bigger topic. He said this man went down justified. Remind me what justified means. It means that you are made what? Right with God permanently. And that God declares you now what? righteous, because he took the righteousness of Christ and did what? Credited it to your account. Jesus is saying, this man was justified. And so just to really press into this theological concept a little bit stronger, because I know that some of you, this, this is kind of gnawing on your mind a little bit, because maybe you've been taught different, and you're thinking, is that really what God says, that all I have to do is have faith in Christ? I don't have to work my way to heaven? Let's look at a few verses together. I just want to marinate in a few extra verses on this topic. I want to read them, but I invite you that when you see underlined sections, read them out loud with me, please, okay? I think these are what we need to really focus on in these passages to press into this justification principle more. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did for you. Romans 3, 21-24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, 
Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And lastly, Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Can God be more clear than that? You're not saved by what you do, but by what Christ did for you. And Jesus makes that clearer and clearer and clearer. Then Jesus gives this parable to demonstrate the contrast. For those who are trying to be justified, saved, forgiven, trusting in themselves, it's a no-go. It's the wrong destination. It's the wrong coordinates. It's the wrong route. But for those who humbly and with repentance, acknowledging their sinfulness, come to the Lord and ask for Him to do something about it, they have a chance to be justified and forgiven. Notice when this tax collector came to the Lord, a couple observations. He didn't ask for God to overlook his sin, to ignore his sin. He's asking for him to atone it. Have mercy. Take it away from me. Also, when the tax collector came, notice Jesus didn't say he went and had to be baptized. He went and had to go take a class. He went and had to go do penance. He had to go do sacraments. He didn't give all, any of those other qualifiers. He came repentant and humbled, asking God to do something about it, and then he went justified. So we have to weigh all of that against some of how we were brought up spiritually. Because some of us have had the wrong coordinates in our spiritual GPS, and it's taken us the wrong way. And some of you, by the grace of God, have been rerouted, and you're celebrating that as we're talking today. You know, using that language, uh, when I drive somewhere I'm not familiar with, I use the GPS a lot. I'm grateful for it. It's a good thing, even though every now and then it sends me somewhere <laughs> or some funky you know, way that I don't want to go. But I'm, I'm grateful for it. But nothing is like when a person gives you instructions and they use landmarks. Don't you love that instead? Like, look, what you're going to do is the GPS is going to send you this way, but once you get on this road, you got to look for the green mailbox. And we live across from the green mailbox. Or are you going to get on this road and there's going to be three streets. Ignore the first street. On the second street, you'll see a red barn on the left and that's where you're going to take the right turn into our driveway. Okay, you're going to see a Chick-fil-A, a Subway, a Chipotle and, and we're the next store right after that. Like when people give landmarks, doesn't that not help us? It gives us more accuracy, right? So as you're driving your life spiritually, guess what? The cross is your landmark. The cross is your landmark. Because there, there, there's the place that Jesus died for our sins. He purchased our justification. He purchased our salvation. He purchased the forgiveness of our sins on the cross. And so whatever road we're on spiritually, it should take us to the cross. And that's where the Lord says, take a right. Kneel here. Repent here. Come to me here. And then you know you're on the right course. And if you're repentant and if you're humble, you'll be glad to do so. Now, those of you who are believers in Christ today are thinking, Chad, I know this already, man. This is, this is like Christianity 101. This is, this is elementary teaching it. Yes, it is elementary. But knowing it and believing it is one thing, but being transformed by it is another. And if you believe in Christ 
and you know what all of these deep truths that we're talking about, it should actually transform the way you live. And, and when you are compared to someone who lives for the world and lives for Christ, there's a distinctive between your life and their life. And when, when you realize the weight of your sin and how gross it is and how offensive it is to God, and you realize that He's forgiven you of that in Christ, it gives you a different type of joy in your life. It gives you a different type of gratitude in your life to live out. That you don't get caught up in all this other stuff that wants to pull at you. You know, there's a man named Charles Octavius Booth who back in the 1800s wrote a very simple theology book called Plain Theology for Plain People. I think he captures this concept well in something he said. He said, those who are raised from spiritual death and made partakers of spiritual life should not spend any moments of that new life in asking useless questions, but rather busy themselves with devout thanks for the gift and in earnest efforts to make the most of the life for the glory of the gracious giver. That's a description of what you and I should look like and live like if we're in Christ. So I just want to go back to this poll for a second. Let's go back to the poll. Let's throw the poll results back up for a second. We've seen some movement here today. So uh, thank you for responding and participating. So I want to talk to the 75% that uh, participated, and maybe if you didn't participate, you would put yourself here with an A. Yes, I feel confident in heaven. My hope for you, you today is going to be several parts. One, that in light of this teaching, you're going to feel grateful. You're going to be refreshed in your gratitude to the Lord for rescuing a sinner like you, the outside of yourself who could do nothing about it. And that gratitude will translate into joy in your life and will transform you and you'll walk with the Lord, for the Lord, in the Lord. Also, to be reminded about the conviction that may come with this message. Because when we look at the Pharisee, if we're going to be honest, some of us have drifted into Pharisaical thinking. The Pharisee felt really good about himself, and he looked down on others. And he was focused on the sins of other people and not on his own sins. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? Isn't it so easy to all of a sudden be so focused on other people's wrongdoings and what they're doing wrong and their mistakes, and we forget, oh, we so quickly forget our own sinfulness. And also, we become the rising sun in our own story instead of let the grace of God be that bright sun shining in our life. And so if there's conviction, maybe it's time to confess that today. And we'll take a minute here in a, in a, in a moment to just kind of say, Lord, I, I confess, I'm sorry that, that I've become a little bit arrogant in my spiritual thinking. May I never lose the gratitude of, of being saved, of being justified, of being forgiven of sin. Also, uh, if you're confident, that means you're living life on mission. That means you feel a passion to reach those people who don't know Christ, especially knowing that their route is the wrong route. And I just want to remind you that, that sin was an issue in this parable. When we talk to people about Jesus, yes, talk about the love of God. Yes, talk about the grace and mercy of God. Yes, talk about the goodness of God. But do not leave out the concept of sin. Because you don't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. So we need to understand that there's forgiveness available for our sin. So I just hope that and pray that for you that would put yes. For those of you that are not sure, if you're a follower of Christ that's just wrestling with some sinful lifestyles, hopefully today you both received assurance, yes, I do believe in Jesus. Yes, I do believe on his death on the cross for my sin. Yes, I do believe in his resurrection from the grave. I, I know this stuff. Maybe if it's just the sin that's wrapping itself and entangling you, 
that the reminder of who you are as a beloved child of God would help you rip free of those sins. Walk to please the Lord. Walk with your heart aimed at Christ. Don't be looking at other people. Look at your Savior. And if you're not sure because you're stuck in good works, hopefully today you get it. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did for you. Maybe you're ready today to put your faith in Christ. And if you answered no, same thing. Maybe you're not ready yet to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe you put no and you're like, ah, I don't know about this Bible stuff, Jesus stuff, church stuff, Christianity. My encouragement to you, hey, just keep coming. You're welcome here. We're so grateful you're here. Just listen to Bible teaching. Maybe even step into a, a life group and interact and have conversation with Christians to understand more about the Christian faith. But, but take those steps forward in learning more. But if you put no and all of a sudden your eyes are open today and you're ready to be that tax collector coming and saying, God, have mercy on me. I need Jesus. Here's my challenge for you. Before you leave today, that corner, over in the corner, the second we start our, our last song and after the service, there's going to be a couple people over there available that would just love to talk to you about how to have a relationship with Christ. It's the most important decision you're ever going to make. And so I don't care what you have going on afterwards or who you brought. Would you just take a couple minutes to talk to them before you leave and just say, I need to know more about a relationship with Christ and they would love to share with you. At the end of the day, we all have to walk out of here realizing something. Salvation, it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that the words of Jesus hit hard. And they, they break through the calluses and the arguments and the excuses that we so often make. And Father, I just want to pray along with my brothers and sisters in Christ right now. Lord, we are so grateful for your mercy, so grateful for your salvation, so grateful that we can be made right with you, we can be justified permanently through Christ. And so right now, just as we spend a few moments in prayer, would you just take a couple seconds here? Would you just say thank you to the Lord? Would you say thank you for his grace in your life? Thank you for his mercy? Would you just spend a minute and say thank you to the Lord? It's very easy to start to accidentally slip into that pharisaical mindset. Start to feel really good about ourselves and think that we're really religious, we're really good, we're better with others. Lord, that means we're looking at them with contempt. It means that we're being pharisaical and we're sorry for that. God, may we never forget that our only hope is you. May we never feel spiritually superior to anybody, especially those who need you, who are wrestling with surrendering to you. So right now, if that's something that's been true of you, would you just take a minute and confess that to the Lord? Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Confess that I've slipped into being pharisaical and looking down on others. Would you just take a minute to do that? What we've talked about today is designed by God to create action, next steps. God does not want his people coming into a building and listening to some information and then just walking out and being no different, having no impact. 
what does the Lord put on your heart today as a next step? What's a prayer that you need to start praying on a regular basis? What's a heart attitude and a heart posture you need to ask him to help you with? Who's a person that so desperately needs to hear what you heard today? Would you just take a minute and ask the Lord to help you to take an action step based on what you heard today? Just ask for his help. And if you don't know Christ, today's an opportunity that you can surrender. You can reroute your spiritual GPS to the right vocation. But it has to start with being humble and being repentant and coming to the Lord and saying, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. If that's you today, would you just say that to the Lord? And then would you take the next step of learning more about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus by stopping by. Lord, I, I thank you for this time. I thank you for who you are and what you've done in our life. God, may what we spent time today hearing, reading, learning, translate to good for others and to glory for you. In Jesus' name, we all said together.